As Shannon said, my name's Blake Elder, and my wife and I have had the privilege of being with you for now. This is week four of four, so this is our, our final week. But uh, when we started this and the invitation was open to us, we're grateful for this opportunity and the trust that you all have given us and the way that you've received us and really just given us the opportunity to uh, minister to God through our service and to minister his word to you. It's uh, something specific that we believe that is timely for where you are in your faith journey individually and where you are as a church. So I'm, I'm excited to deliver this last uh, piece of our series, Before and After. Uh, we've been talking about before and after because we come to places in our life where something changes and there's transition that takes place and maybe there's something that ends that we did not want, want it to end. Um, or there's something that kind of uh, surprisingly comes up and makes us go in a different direction. And there's an in-between uh, where we have to process, where we have to heal. And a lot of the messages have been encouragement for how we can have healing and where, how we can find encouragement to look towards the future. And then the after, that there's a new beginning that God has for us. And, and so really want to dive into that new beginning piece and, uh, and looking towards the future, being able to set our heart towards the future. So I want to dive in to Haggai, uh, the book of Haggai. It's an Old Testament book, if you'll go there with me, Haggai chapter 2. And today I want to speak to you um, around the thought of bring me what's left. Bring me what's left. That's what the phrase that the Spirit of God put in my heart and my mind for this last message is to tell them, bring me what's left. And uh, when I first started thinking about that phrase, I thought of Ezekiel, you know, the dry bones that remained. And Ezekiel prophesied over the dry bones, and they came to life, and God formed a, a great army out of those. And, and uh, then I, I started thinking about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and how the disciples were saying, this is a desolate place, and the time has already passed. But Jesus said, bring me what you have. And they found out that there was a boy there with five loaves and two fish. And uh, they brought the fish and the bread to Jesus. He blessed them and broke them and multiplied them. And 5,000 men plus women and children were fed that day, and they had 12 baskets full left over. So I, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about Elijah when, she, when, when he went to uh, the widow who just had a, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And she, she said that she was just going to bake that last little bit and make a, a bread cake, and then she was going to die, her and her son. But Elijah said, no, let me eat that cake. And then God supplied uh, her and her family with food for the rest of her life. And so she, she was willing to bring all that she had left. The, the widow who brought the two coins, and uh, Jesus highlights her in the temple that even though she, she brought, others have brought out of their surplus, but she, out of all she had to li live on, she brought all that she had left, she brought it to Jesus, and, and Jesus spoke a blessing over her that day. Just all these scriptures were coming to my mind. I thought about when God uses a remnant uh, or people that remain after hardship to begin to do something new and of his glory. And that's what brought me to this text here in Haggai chapter 2. And I'm, I might squint a little bit to see it here. On the, on the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai. The prophet saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you 
who saw this temple in its former glory, and how do you see it now? I like that phrase, who is left among you? Tell the person next to you, I'm still here, I'm still here. We'll participate a little bit today and have some fun with it. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of armies. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Do not fear. For this is what the Lord of hosts says. Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of the nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give you peace. That's good encouragement right there, just reading God's word. It's amazing when you dive into God's word, the encouragement and strength that will come to you. There's power in it, and there's God's presence in it. And I saw a photo that I think, Kelsey, that you posted this week of our surge group here in the sanctuary of diving into God's word and praying together. And if you understand just what the power of prayer, you know, we'll never, we can never sustain anything beyond our prayer life. You can't, you can't sustain a relationship with God beyond your prayer life, beyond your, your conversation and communion with him. I love some of the promises that we have in God's word, especially that Jesus speaks in Matthew about prayers. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. And, uh, and, and how his heart for us is good. And, and there's so many things about how we have access to him in prayer. We can't sustain a relationship with God beyond our prayer life. We can't sustain, I can't sustain our marriage beyond my prayer life. I can't sustain the work or the calling that God has given me to do. Anything that I try to do in my flesh that God has given me to do, I'll fall flat on my face. Every move of God starts with a person in the place of prayer. Every time that God does something significant throughout the history of mankind, it's been when someone took the place of prayer and God revealed himself in his glory and God did something extraordinary just through somebody that was willing to bring them what's left. And, and I, I know in life that we go through experiences and we have hardships. We have times where it even feels like we're in captivity. And we have, we have times where we have challenges that we face and we have heartaches and disappointments that we face that, that sometimes can try to discourage us or make sure makes us think that we're not of use to God, that God can't do anything with us, that maybe he's done with us here. And, and, and God's, God says, no, I, I, if you bring me what's left, I have something new. I can work with what's left. In Hebrews, the writer said, uh, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that that which can't be shaken will remain. That we're going to go through times of shaking. shaking. We're going to go through times where the enemy is after our heart of faith. The enemy is after our future and our destiny as individuals and a church. And you better believe that, the, that, the, that demonic spirits are against what God is wanting to do in this church in this day. We live in the age of hyperbole, 
and, and, and the enemy tries to distort things, exaggerate things, take our own experiences, take the social issues, the political issues, the, the health issues, the, all the concerns of the day and distort them so that then we begin provoking each other rather than preserving one another. To where we begin looking for our own protection and comfort rather than to proclaim and confess the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world that is able to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gets us distracted and, and we become captive to different scenarios. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life I become captive to a moment of weakness. I become captive to an experience of hardship and I want to learn and extract all the lessons that I can learn from what I've walked through and I want to make sure that I'm positioning myself where God can transform me and stay in humble of heart. And, and sometimes when I go to read God's word, I'm thinking of an issue that I have with a brother. Or I think of a situation that I've walked through that I don't understand and I'm a little bit confused. Or I think about a weakness that I have and, and I, I get distracted and I focus. And those things need to be dealt with and processed, but, but we need to be able to, to not be held captive and know that God has something greater in store for us. That's what the, tech, the context of this scripture is in Haggai, that the people of God are leaving Babylonian captivity, and they've started to rebuild the house of the Lord. And, and, and this, is, this is really significant because they lived in captivity for so long, and that, that they, their, their, their way of worship and their way of life was hindered, and, but they began uh, rebuilding the house of the Lord until they faced opposition and they begin to lose heart. And so we, there's opposition that we face spiritually. There's opposition sometimes that we face just in our flesh because the enemy wants to kill us, steal us, and, to, and destroy us. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. That's what he's after. He wants to, his aim is to kill, steal, and destroy you. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And so that's what, they, they lived in captivity, they're rebuilding, and their heart is for it until they face opposition. And so I want to encourage you today, and this message is for you, if you're facing any type of opposition in your life, if you're facing anything that makes you feel like there's limitation or captivity, that I can only move this far, but I can't go any further, whether it be in your life of faith, whether it be in the desires of your heart to pursue the call and destiny that God's given you, or if it's just a relationship or common things that are every day that you just say, I just can't go there, that, that God is wanting to speak to that today. He's wanting to stir your heart to, in spite of the opposition, go for it anyway. In spite of the opposition, step out into it. So this word from Haggai came to the people of Israel so that they would be able to start building the work again. And he was, he was charging them and encouraging them. And it's the same way with us that, that God is charging us and encouraging us to go after his work, that there will be greater glory even than the glory that we've seen. I think sometimes we have to be willing to let go even of good things because God has something better for us. That sometimes we think in life that I wish I could go back to the way it used to be. I wish it was just like it was in the days of old. But we go through moments and transitions in life where God is wanting to take us further because we're on a journey of faith. And, and we think we know what the journey is going to look like until we face those things along the way. It's like in our marriage counseling, uh, the, the person that was doing our premarital counseling told us 
uh, that, that I have to help break down your rose-colored glasses. Because right now, you're looking at marriage through this rose-colored lens. you got all the romance and all the love and that we're never going to get mad at each other and all these things. We're going to be good because we love each other and all of that. But, but to be able to prepare for the reality of what the journey is going to look like. When you're going to move across the country just a few months into marriage like Reagan and I did and have to make hard decisions together and learn things that we did not know about each other through transitions. That's, but our intimacy grew as we were committed to each other. We don't know how the journey is going to always play out, but we can be sure that God is working in our journey. And sometimes he has to remove something from us, cut something away for us, so that we can embrace the next and new thing that he wants to do. Yeah, God takes us from, glory, from faith to faith and from glory to glory, from grace to grace. And, and that's what he's telling them here through the prophet. He says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. That what God is doing next is going to be greater than anything that you've ever seen. But you got to get yourself ready for it. And the first thing I would encourage you to do, uh, encourage you with, is that what, what remains is that which could not be stolen, killed, or destroyed. Well, when I, when I think about that, that just gets me excited. That makes me want to throw off the suit, rip through it. It is kind of tight. I think I've gained a little weight since the last time I wore this jacket. But, but it makes me, me want to just jump, jump over a wall that when I think about through hardships and trouble in my life that... Everything that could be shaken was shaken, but the things which could not be shaken, they remained. That, that, that there's some things that the enemy could not destroy. There's some things that the enemy could not kill. There's some things that the enemy could not steal from me through my experiences in life. And, and I get thankful for that because of who Jesus is in my life. You know, I was thinking of just some, some I guess, really easy illustrations of this is I, I had kidney surgery in between my junior and senior year of high school. And I had three of them, actually, from uh, I think it was the, the start of July, it might have been June, to October. So four or five months, I had three uh, procedures. I had a birth defect that was in my kidney, and I had to get um, some scar tissue cut out. They, uh, they, dis, excuse me, they dislocated my ribs, and uh, I had... Uh, I had um, what do you call those, the threads, stitches? I had stitches on the inside and staples on the outside. And, uh, and I walked like this for about four months. I couldn't stand up, not four months, four weeks. I couldn't stand upright, and I was in a lot of pain. And the doctor had told my mom that, that and my mom's here. Hey, mama. And my, the doctor had told my mom that he can't play football anymore. And she's like, I'm not going to let you tell him that. You got to at least give, let him try. Because there are some things that experiences in your life cannot take from you. And they cannot take from you desire. They cannot take from you heart. They cannot take from you relationship and intimacy. They're, they cannot take from you courage. You may be able to take a lot of things from me. You may take my, all of my possessions, but there's still something remains there. I'm still here. Tell somebody I'm still here. That, that there's still something left that God can work with. I remember... I was sharing a story, um, just putting myself out there. After my first semester of college, I came home on academic probation. And uh, I had a 1.06 GPA. 
My dad had told me before I went to college, I walked on playing football at Appalachian State University. My dad told me before you go, uh, he said, I'll pay for your first year, um, but after that, you, you've got to earn a scholarship to be able to stay up there. I could have went in-state for with the life scholarship and not had to pay as much money to go to school. So when I came home that December, let's just say it was a rough winter break. It was three weeks. My dad didn't really want to have much to say to me. He really said, you wasted my money, my investment, the sacrifice that I'm making for you to be up there. I don't even know if you should go back. I went back to school, and the coaches were hard on me, and they made me go to the 5 a.m. workouts every day just to say, is he really committed to it? But I had a person who came to me and said, shared the, Ecclesi- uh, the scripture from Ecclesiastes 11, which says, just as you don't know where the wind comes from, and you don't know how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God. Sow your seed in the morning and again in the evening because you don't know if it's going to be the morning or evening sowing or both of them alike that brings the increase. So I made a decision by faith that day to say, God, whatever comes of it, I believe that you're at work, and I'm going to sow like you're up to something. Morning and evening, I'm going to sow like you're up to something. And it really was transformation in my life. I made the dean's list the next semester, made the dean's list um, all but I think two semesters throughout the rest of college. I went on to earn a full scholarship. I got put on full scholarship on the Saturday before school started in 2007. If I didn't get put on scholarship, I was going to have to move home. And all the time and effort that I'd put into it would have been for naught. But I would have been proud of of the way, regardless of outcome, I would have been proud of the way I gave all of my heart toward it. And and God rewarded me and he blessed me and I got put on full scholarship. That was the year we went on to beat Michigan at the big house and upset them. And then we won our third national championship in a row. And then I went on to be a starter, a a two-year starter at App State and a captain on the football team. And it was amazing that God was at work, and he transformed me, and he began to do something in my spiritual life as well as allowed me to flourish in, in what I did on the football field. Uh, but it, it just made me, it makes me think that when we bring God what's left in the middle of challenges that he, that he shapes us. And, oh, by the way, I said just like we don't know how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, I told you all I'd let you know. Reagan and I are having a baby boy. We found out on Monday... And uh, it's our first child, so y'all keep, keep us in your prayers. But we're thankful for healthy mom, healthy baby to this point. And uh, it's just amazing. Every time I sit uh, and, and I'm able to look at those ultrasound pictures and see what, it's a miracle what God develops and how he develops and how ordered it is and how all the organs are in place. And it's the size of the palm of my hand and weighs eight ounces. And you can see the features and and the bones are coming together, and it can hear our voice when we, we're talking right now. And it's just amazing to me how God begins to form a life. And it's even more miraculous how God uh, allows someone to be born again. That how, what, what has to happen for someone to receive in their heart and for God to reveal himself to us so that we're born again? That's, that's what God wants to do. When we, when we bring him what's left of us, he begins to work in the middle of it and form a miracle. That's what, I like this, this thought, God has caused his church to be what remains of him in the earth. So it's not just that there's something that could not be stolen, there's something that could not be killed, and there's something that could not be stro- destroyed, but there's something that remains that God will use. And that's us, that's his church. 
church as ecclesia. I'm not just talking about um, the institution of the church. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about each one of us. We are the church. The Bible calls it, the, uh, in the Greek, it's ecclesia. It means called out ones. It means that Jesus came and he called you by name, and he calls us out of something and into something. So he called us, I love uh, Peter writes, he called me out of darkness and into his glorious light. He calls us out of fear and into his love that is able to silence all fear. He calls us out of our flesh and into the spirit. He calls us out of, out of the world and into his kingdom. That we're moving out of something and into something. That's, that's how God is designed. We are what remains in the earth. And that's what God's doing with his people. He's wanting them to see that you are the remnant. You are what survived. You survived the Babylonian captivity. You've been through a lot. You've been through hard times. You've been through trouble. But you're still here. Tell somebody, I'm still here. But you're still here. There's a remnant that's left that has survived. There's a remnant that has endured. That even, even through hard times, individually, there's something in you that your heart has endured. There's something in you that just wouldn't quit. And, and I love that because that agrees with the heart of our Heavenly Father in Heaven. That He will not quit on us. That He will never quit on us. He'll never leave us, nor will He forsake us. And He will provide for us everything that we need through every step of our journey. And so the prophet begins delivering this message. And if you'll go to Haggai chapter 1 there, verses, uh, I think I have 2 through 5. Haggai chapter 1. I just want to walk through these quick, these quick scriptures because this is how we position ourselves for what God wants to do with us in the future. This is what the Lord of hosts says. This people says the time has not come, the time for the house of the re for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house remains desolate? Now then, the Lord of hosts says this, Consider your ways. And I want to stop here because the thought I want to bring to you out of that, those, short scripture, that, those short verses is that you have to believe that the time is now. That's, what, that's one of the things that happens. This, we, we talked last week a little bit about how sometimes we think of time linearly, like a straight line. But it's also the concept of time as an opportunity. And this is the opportune time for us put, to put what God is doing in the earth first. This is the time for us not to get comfortable in our own dwelling places, in our own living spaces, but for us to be able to put what God is doing in the earth through his house and through the body of Christ to begin to put it first. He says, consider your ways. The people were saying, it's not time. They're saying like the disciples said when the, Jesus fed the 5,000 that the time has already passed and, and the place is desolate. But God is stirring our hearts to say, no, this is the time. This is the place. This is the opportunity for us to be the glory of God and be the image of God in the earth, to be the church victorious, the church prevailing, the, the church witnessing to the ends of the earth, the glory of God and the presence of God being, being revealed and his love being demonstrated, people being rescued, the captive being set free, that the, the blind re receiving recovery of sight, that souls and hearts are being restored. This, this is the time. This is the time. This is the right time is now. 
That's what he's trying to get in their hearts. And the second thing I want to share with you, uh, if we go drop a couple of verses down to verse 12, Haggai chapter 1, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, I just want to let you know too, Zerubbabel, the first part of his name, it means scorched or burned. Really, he was born in captivity. He was born during Babylonian captivity. Zerubbabel, scorched, burned, and then Babel is confused. Because Babel, when they were building the Tower of Babel in Genesis, this is why you should really dive deep into the Word because the Word is so connected and there's so much revelation and wisdom in it that, that God confused their language so they couldn't understand each other because they were building a tower for themselves up to heaven. And he said when they agree that and understand each other that there will be nothing impossible for him. It wasn't that they didn't want him, them to reach to heaven. They just didn't want them to do it for their own glory. And so they were confused. And that's where Babylonian, Babylonian captivity is Babel. It's, there's confusion that takes place. And in that sometimes, anybody been confused recently? I mean, my goodness. If you, if you haven't been confused, you might, you might not be, an honest, be being honest with yourself. But there's been some confusing things that have happened in life. And even if it's not just recent events, there are times in life where it just gets confusion. It gets, gets confusing. You don't know which way is up. feel like you're a, flat, a cat being tossed in the air and don't know which way is up. and want to be able to land on the ground but can't quite see the ground. And, and, and man, a, a lot of people have been burned. And a lot of people have been scorched, and there's life and there's brokenness when it happens. It, it burns you and it scorches you. That's Zerubbabel. And so God is speaking. He says, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, that's you and I, obeyed the voice of the Lord. Man, just to obey his voice. I'm reminded of that... Uh, of what Samuel had mentioned, that God desires obedience over sacrifice. That to love God, Jesus even says, to love me is to keep my commandments. John says how that we would love him and that his commandments would not be burdensome. That there's a way, there's an expression of love that comes through obedience. And if we say, God, whatever you speak, I'm bringing you what's left. I'm still here. I'm bringing you what's left. And God, whatever you speak, I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey. I'm going to act on it. Back to that scripture. So they were obedient. You have to, that's how you position for a new beginning. First, you, you have to put the things of God first. Then you have to know the time is now and, and that, that uh, you're going to be obedient. And he says, uh, let me find it. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, just as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people showed reverence for the Lord, then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua. He stirred up the spirit of the remnant, and they came out and worked on the house of the Lord. See, I love that. First, I want, I want you to hear this, that that the Lord, what, what's really in my heart with that message, bring, God saying, bring me what's left. He's saying, I'm with you. There's something about the presence of the Lord that when you, when you discern it, when you discern that he is here, 
that he's in our midst, when, when, when you know that he is with you, that it's an endorsement for you to go forth. I like to think of his presence like the tension in the bow of an arrow that's drawn. That it is the presence that pushes the arrow to, to its target. And when you sense the presence of God, when you sense that he is on your scene, it is God endorsing you to move forward and go after the target. God, I, I ask that you would send your presence and that you would make your presence real to all of us individually, that you would manifest your presence, take the lid off of yourself, and so that we would know that you are sending us toward our target, that we can move forward for our future. And he says, and then he says, stir up the spirit. He stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirs up the spirit of Joshua. He stirs up the spirit of all the people. That's what we looked at last week in Hebrews, that spur each other on in the Lord. That we should be stirring each other's spirit. Like when we get around each other, we should be saying, you can do what God's put in your heart to do. That, yes, impossible things can happen. You can, you can leap over that wall. You can, you can go after that breakthrough. You can go, you can go after that, that person and win their soul. Now, I want to stir your spirit for, for what God, I want your spirit and your enthusiasm for what God has to you to be out the roof. We have a hope that is an anchor for our soul. When others are in despair, we are not in despair because we have Jesus as our, as our hope. When, when others are downtrodden, then we know that there's somebody that will lift us up. And so we're able to bring the message of the goodness of God and his gospel to the least, the lost, and the lonely everywhere we go. And that God would reach down. His arm is not so short that it cannot save. I may be limited, but my God is not limited. I may be in captivity, but my God can rescue me. I may be having hardship, but my God will deliver me. That we have a message of hope because there is a God who loves us and that would do whatever it took to be able to rescue us. So we should stir up the spirit of one another daily. We should do this by praying for one another. We should do this by speaking encouragement to one another, speaking the word of God to one another. That we should, we should enliven one another's spirit with our words and the way, the, way that we, the way that we do life together. Stir up the spirit and then go to work. Let's go to work. See, that's what I love about it. When you're stirred for what's ahead, you just, I just need a partner. I just need somebody to join their faith, to believe with me. I need somebody that will say, let's go do it. Like, Jonathan, like his, Jonathan's armor bearer told him, do every, everything that is in your heart, for I am with you heart and soul. Perhaps God will work for us. I'm looking for somebody in my life that I can link arms with and that, that will say perhaps God will work for us. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm willing to go after it and I'm willing to go to work. I'm willing to do the grind. I'm willing, I'm willing to do the things necessary. I'm willing to get my hands involved in what God is doing. I'm not watching a show. I'm participating in what God's doing. I didn't come here to watch it. I came here to start it. I came, I came here to light, a, to light a fire in someone. I came here to, to see a move of God happen in my family, in my home. I want to see a move of God happen on my street corner. I want to see a move of God happen in the community. So I'm going to be a part of it. I'm still here, God. We're still here. And that's, that's, what, it, that's what the confession of all of us being in the room today is. God, I'm still here. God, we're still here.
and I know that you're up to something, do it with us. Goes on the text that we read and the, when we opened up and he's, he's talks, he says, y'all, y'all, take courage. That's like saying, take heart. It's going to take your heart. It's going to take your heart. You got to put your heart into it. I don't want to be a part of nothing that doesn't require my heart or the hearts of others. Because it's not worth it. And you need to know that God desires your all. That your all, your heart is valuable to him. There's something that about, if you read in the Bible, there are promises that are connected when we do something with our whole heart and with all of our heart. Courage is not easy. It's not easy to keep heart in troubling times and challenging times. But we can do it. When the Spirit of God is with us, it should cause us to take courage. It should cause us to take heart. That's what Jesus said, let, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in me, believe also in God. For I have overcome the world. Times of trouble will come in our life. The church, you and I, are not immune to hardship. We're going to face it. But there's something about the Spirit of God being in us, living within us, that should produce courage, that even in the midst of hardship and trouble, that God is transforming us and he's doing something and we will overcome. In the end, we win. He tells them to take courage. The thing I like, the, the thing I like about the end of this, the book of Haggai, we're going to look at verses 19 through 23 here. You know, the, the piece where God says the glory, I will fill this house with glory. And that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. We should expect glory. We should live to expect to encounter the Lord in his fullness. And we should hear that it is his desire to reveal his glory to us. To reveal his face, to make us to know him. Even as Moses talked to him face to face, he desires us to know him in that type of intimacy. And that the thing that gives us hope when we go through hard times, like Haggai is saying that, God will fill the house with glory, that God will fill Four Points Church with glory again and that the latter glory will be greater than the former. So he gets them up there and then he closes out the scripture with these four, five verses. I love this phrase. Is the seed still in the barn? What do you have left? I don't know, we got any farmers in the room? I know I've got a couple of gardeners probably in the room. Is there seed still in the barn? What do you have left? Do you still have something that God can work with? Do you still have a heart that longs after God? Do you still, do you still have scripture that has encouraged your heart? Do you, do you still have one another? Do you, do you still have gifts and talents that are useful to God? Are you still here? Is there seed still in the barn? God is saying to you, Four Points Church, bring me what is left. Bring me what is left. Is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree? It does not produce fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. 
And I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. I will take care of your opposition. Don't lose heart because of opposition. I'm going to deal. There's going to be times of shaking. But God's going to overthrow those things that rise up against him. Then he says, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, scorched one, burned one, confused one, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of armies. That word is what I want to speak as a blessing to you, over you. Is God saying, I will bless you, and I will make you as a signet ring. Before you were scorched, burned, confused. After, you will be a signet ring. You'll be, that's meaning a sign of the seal that God will never leave his people and that you can expect glory. God says, when God told them through Haggai that the glory will be greater, he says, he says one other thing. He says, and I will give you peace. Peace is nothing missing and nothing broken. It's amazing that there is a peace of God that surpasses all my understanding. And sometimes I have to let peace. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus. And sometimes I don't have to understand it. I have to let peace. I have to let Jesus pass by my understanding and follow him. And as I follow him, bringing to him what's left of me, he will make sure that nothing is missing and that nothing is broken. God, give your peace to your people. I just thank you for the privilege and the trust of being able to declare your word. Thank you for counting me faithful. I wouldn't count myself faithful, but I'm so thankful that you count me faithful. And I bring you all of my heart and all that I have left. Just along with these people here today, God, we anticipate and expect greater glory. Glory like we've never seen before. Transformation glory. Nothing missing, nothing broken glory. Make Four Points Church as a signet ring. A seal pointing to your promise. Pointing to your presence, to your glory. And pointing to your peace. I don't understand how one person can take away the sins of the world, Brian. But when Jesus passes by my understanding, it gives me peace to know that there is one who takes away all of my sins and allows me to use this what's left of me and allows me to walk after him into the future that he has for me. I don't know about you, Four Points Church, but that gets me excited that there's some things that can't be stolen, some things that can't be destroyed, there's some things that can't be killed because of what Jesus has done for us.